Years ago when we lived in Florida on a Sunday afternoon, we had a, a series of severe thunderstorms. And in fact, they produced some tornadoes in our area. And just as the worst of one of those storms passed by, I got a telephone call. And it was from the, the chairman of the board, his wife. And they lived not far from us. And she called and she was really frantic, almost hysterical, and I was trying to figure out what had gone on, and apparently a tornado had gone behind their house and knocked over a tree, and there was water coming in down the walls in their house, and her husband was outside trying to figure out all the damage that had been done. So I put on a coat, grabbed a couple things, the few things I knew to get. I had a hand saw, really nice hand saw, and, and took off over to their house and got my stuff out, put it on their porch, and walked in, and there was a little water coming down, but the tornado had gone like right behind their house and destroyed a shed they had back there and all the stuff in it. And, and about five minutes after I got there, one of the other elders in our church showed up too. What you need to know about him is his family owns a sawmill. So he came with about 12 different sizes of chainsaw, okay? And to this day, they still make fun of me for showing up with my handsaw, okay? I was just trying to be a nice guy, all right? But by the end of the day, I was really glad he had come because it made all the difference to have the right equipment. And that's true so often in life. Having the right equipment makes us successful in the work that we want to do. And today I want us to think about that in church life. We continue this series that I'm calling, How Can I Help? And we're thinking about doing ministry together as a church, and especially the fact that as we've come to a new mission for the church, love God and love others, we've had to think about how ministry may change and how our ministry team structure really needs to change. And so we're thinking about having the right equipment and equipping as a part of that. Now, what happens in some churches is, well, this happens in all churches, that people like me or elders try to make you feel guilty enough that you'll do something, okay? So we beg, you know, will you please, 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 please teach a junior high boy Sunday school class or the nursery or take care of the computers or whatever it may be and finally say, okay, enough is enough, I'll do it, I'll do it. And then you think, all right, okay, are there any records of what's been done before? And we say, well, the person who was in charge last really didn't keep that many records? And is there any training available? And we say, well, you know, I think you'll be fine. Just uh, do your best. That's all we can ask. You'll, you'll do good. And you say, is there a budget? And we say, well, you know, I think there's a budget line item for that. I don't remember how much it is, a few hundred dollars. But things are really tight right now. So if you didn't spend any of that, it would really help us out, okay? And so people think, well, I... I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to have no training, and I've got no money to do it. That really sets me up for success, right? Well, it doesn't. It sets us up for failure. And we think, well, there's, there's got to be a better way, right? I mean, there's got to be a better way to do things than that. And the truth is, there really is. And we find it at work even in the life of the early church. Before any, you know, personal success, business leadership books were written, we see people at work in the New Testament doing this the right way. And in this series, we're parked in the book of Acts, and today we'll be there as well. Three passages I want to spend just a few minutes on each. And, and they're all about one man and his relationship with another guy. And, and the one man we're really talking about is Barnabas. 
Barnabas was a Jewish Christian. He was from the island of Cyprus, so he probably grew up speaking Greek, but he immediately became an important leader in the church in Jerusalem. He gave some money from a land sale to help people who were poor. He became known as a person who encouraged others. His name actually means son of encouragement, and he lived up to that throughout his time in Jerusalem and then beyond that. And he became a trusted advisor to the leaders in Jerusalem. So when things uh, began to change in the city of Antioch, the uh, leaders in Jerusalem knew to send Barnabas. And what was going on in Antioch, important city at a trade crossroads, cosmopolitan city in the ancient world, in, in Syria, this city was a, a place where things were happening. And they were happening in the church. Some Jewish Christians from Cyprus, where Barnabas was from, from Cyrene in North Africa, we call it Libya, had come to Antioch, and these Jewish Christians, and this was pretty new for the church, began to teach Gentiles about Jesus. And they were becoming followers of Jesus. So when the leaders in Jerusalem heard about that, they said, we've got to find out what's happening up there. They sent Barnabas. And when Barnabas got there, he observes all that they're doing and all these Gentiles becoming Christians, and he is thrilled with that. Okay? He's glad to see this happening. And furthermore, he spent time with them, encouraging them and teaching them to be even more effective in their outreach to these Gentiles. And certainly in this large city, most of the people were Gentiles. So what Barnabas sees is this amazing opportunity to lead people to Jesus. And then Barnabas decided it's time to get someone else in on this. He knew of Saul... This man who had been persecuting Christians on the road to Damascus, we know that story, sees the light, it's Jesus. He learns about Jesus, becomes a Christian, and at this point, he's in what we would call southeastern Turkey in the city of Tarsus, his hometown, okay? He's northwest of where uh, Barnabas is. And Barnabas decides it's time to go find Saul. And we see that beginning in chapter 11 of Acts, verse 25, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, that wouldn't have been easy. He's got to travel over land by foot. He doesn't even know that Saul's going to be there. He can't call ahead and say, are you going to be home? He just has to get there, hope he's there, and find him. Now, here's why he did all that. Verse 26, and when he found him, he brought him, Saul, to Antioch. And Barnabas said, hey, Saul, I've got important things to do back in Jerusalem. I want you to stay here and run stuff. I'm sure you'll do fine. If you have any problems, well, you'll figure it out. No, that's not at all what he did. Here's what happened. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Here's this man whose name means son of encouragement. And what does he do? Instead of just dropping Saul off and saying, hey, I see some good things in you. You're going to be a leader. Have at it. He comes alongside Saul in this cosmopolitan changing church. And for a year, he stands with Saul preaching and teaching about Jesus. You see, from the very beginning, Barnabas is equipping and preparing Saul to do ministry on his own. Barnabas recognized that you've got to help people if they're going to be successful in ministry. 
Okay? And during this time, a prophet in the church named Agabus says, hey, there's going to be a famine in Palestine and Judea, okay? Jerusalem, where a lot of the Christians are. We need to help them. They took up an offering, and they want to get that offering to Jerusalem. Now, obviously, they can't do an electronic funds transfer. They can't even write a check to First Christian Church of Jerusalem. They've got to send somebody with the money. Now, that was not as easy as it sounds. You're talking about dangerous roads where you've got a, a lot of money, valuable things. And it would be very easy in the ancient world for someone carrying an offering from one church to another to disappear and never be found. It would be easy to make off with all this money and no one would ever find you. So you've got to find people you trust, people who are going to be able to get that money from Antioch to Jerusalem and it all still be there. Who do they choose? Barnabas and Saul. Here's one of Saul's first opportunities to really be seen as a trustworthy leader in the church. And he does just that. We skip down through most of chapter 12 and we come down to the last verse of chapter 12 and it reads this way. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission going to Jerusalem, they returned from Jerusalem taking with them John, also called Mark. Seems to me that Barnabas knew if you want to multiply leadership, if you want to expand your leadership potential, what you do is you bring other people alongside you and you train them to be leaders. That's what he's doing with Saul, and now that's what he's doing with John, Mark, who eventually wrote the gospel we call Mark. He recognized you've got to expand that by equipping people to do ministry. And then we have this great leadership lesson, beginning of chapter 13. Now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Some of them we know, Barnabas is one of them. Simeon called Niger, probably means he has dark skin, maybe from Africa. Lucius of Cyrene from Libya. Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, maybe a former slave, maybe a friend of Herod, and Saul. While they were worshiping the, Lord, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, a couple things come up in just that verse. Number one, shouldn't they have had a board meeting or something? I mean, this happens when they're worshiping and fasting. Church leaders, we think board meetings are the important time, but it seems to me that the important stuff happened in the midst of worship. And then the other side of this is when, when God calls people to ministry, I sort of like it to be, I want these people to do this ministry in this place. But do you see how this call works? I want you to set apart Barnabas and Saul for the ministry to which I've called them. Well, where's it going to be? We'll talk about that later. What are they going to be doing? We'll talk about that later too. Just set them apart and get them ready. Trust me. That's hard stuff. But it's exactly the way the Holy Spirit operated in the early church. How does the church respond? So after they fasted and prayed, same again. They placed their hands on them and sent them off. 
So what do they do? They equip them spiritually. Come together, let's pray about this, even let's fast, let's prepare you to do the ministry. So there's a spiritual equipping, and then there's a leadership equipping. We talked about this last week. Call these people together, lay hands on them, charge them to do this ministry. They're not just giving them the responsibility to do the ministry, they're giving them the authority to do the ministry. So there's equipping on just practically every front in this church in Antioch. They recognize the need to get people ready to do ministry. And so Saul and Barnabas set off. And they do this trip where they go to churches, or they go to, to towns and develop churches among people that don't know Jesus. Now what's interesting on that trip is it switches from being Barnabas and Saul. Saul's name is changed to Paul during this time, sort of a Greek form of the same name because they're among the Gentiles. To eventually on their way back, suddenly sometimes it's Paul and Barnabas. Do you see what's happened Barnabas has spent a year in Antioch preparing Saul to be a Christian leader. He took him to Jerusalem on this trip where he's trusted. They come back. The Holy Spirit's called them. The leaders in the church prepare them for ministry. And by the end of the trip, Barnabas has allowed Saul to take the leadership position. Remember, Barnabas has got another guy he's training already, John Mark. So Paul is taking this position that Barnabas has allowed him to take. Now, what happens when they get back? We turn over to chapter 14, verse 26. From Italia they, this is Paul and Barnabas, sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. We just talked about that. That's what happens at the beginning of 13. On arriving there, listen to this carefully. They gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he, God, had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So it's not, hey, um, yeah, you know, we don't really have time for you guys in a worship service when everybody's here. We'll do something on a Thursday night you know, whoever is interested can come and you can tell your stories and show a few pictures, whatever. And then you can move on to talk to some other people. No, these, these Christian leaders in Antioch say, yeah, let's get the whole church. And we sent you guys out. We want to get the whole church together here. We want you to tell the whole story of what God has done through you. Not just what Paul and Barnabas have done. We want to know what God is doing throughout the world. God is moving and he is active and he is engaged in the world and we want to know what that looks like. So tell us the stories of what God has done in your ministry because that's exciting to us. And stay around because we want to take care of you. We commissioned you and sent you out, and you need time to rest and recuperate, and we'll prepare you, and we'll equip you for whatever is next. You see, it's about accountability, and it's about caring for them. It's equipping from beginning to end. So what do we learn from this passage and these stories? Is that equipping leads to successful ministry. It doesn't guarantee it, because we all make mistakes and bad decisions. But it sets the stage. It prepares us for successful ministry. We need that equipping side. Now, sometimes we want to get ahead of ourselves, 
and say, well, the equipping, you know, that seems tedious and it's study and it's prayer and it's, it's not really ministry, is it? The story from these Christians in Antioch is, yeah, it's really ministry. It's vital if you're going to do it right. So that, that speaks to us on a personal level. Each of us needs time to equip ourselves for ministry and be equipped by the church. It means we submit to people who've done this for a while and learn from them. It means we commit to a time when we're, we're walking alongside someone and watching them do ministry and maybe allowing them to speak into our lives when we begin to do it. Okay? It also means for those of us who've been doing this a while that we should take time to build in to other people, to be alongside them as they begin ministry. That takes time. How much time? How much time did Barnabas spend with Saul in Antioch? A year. It wasn't, hey, come watch me teach this class and then you can teach it next week. It was a year they spent together. Plus the trip to Jerusalem and back before they're ready to go on this journey that God called them to do. So we've got to commit ourselves both to receive instruction and to stand with people as they're beginning ministry. Now that's on a personal level. But this works on a corporate level, as a church as well. We need ministries in the church that will equip others to do different things. Now, in our ministry team structure, we've divided all our teams into four different areas. And today we're on the first one. And you can see in your bulletin there's a little insert that describes this, if you want to pull that out. These are equipping ministries. And in a way, we look down this list and we go, technology and house and grounds, finance, man, that, that doesn't really sound like ministry to me. I mean, ministry is talking to people about Jesus, teaching the kids, leading worship maybe, but this... This is not ministry. I don't think that could be further from the truth. Because all of the things that are listed on this piece of paper are vital for ministry to be done in this church. They are ministry because without them, we can't teach kids. We don't have a place to worship. We don't have a place to meet and teach it's not going to happen. These are ministry because they're hugely important in the life of the church. Technology, that's become such a big part of church anymore. You know, it, without the screens and the computers, we don't have the words to the song. And somebody says, well, we could always print them. Well, how are you going to do that without technology, right? We don't have many scribes available today, okay? We're dependent on it. And this is a new team that brings people who are involved in technology together from several different areas of ministry because it was a little spread out. But now it's all together so that the computers and networking along with the sound and lighting equipment plus some things that go on with our kids as well are all under one umbrella so we can communicate better with one another and make sure we have the things in place that we need now and we're planning for the future because technology is always changing, right? House and grounds, you can see the long list of things that they do. A lot of men and women in our church work in this area and save us thousands of dollars every single year by doing this work. It's got to be in place. If it's not done, we don't have a place to worship, and our building and our grounds don't appeal to anyone. So these are vital to the life of the church. Finance, 
As I mentioned last week, if the finance team doesn't plan to, to pay everything that needs to be paid, we don't have lights on, we can't do ministry, it's got to be done. And then prayer. And that's one you might say, well, I don't, I don't see that fitting in this area. These are all sort of infrastructure kinds of things, and then prayer is sort of dropped in on this page. But what, that, what that's designed to do is to make the statement that the elders and staff, we really believe that Prayer has got to be a part of all of our ministries. It's got to support and undergird everything we do as a church. Because we could have a great organization with charts of who's in charge of this and that and the other, but if it's not undergirded, if prayer is not part of it, it's not ministry. It might be a lot of activity, but it's not ministry. We want prayer to be part of everything we do. Now, the prayer team is not charged with doing all the praying for us. They're charged with coordinating a program that leads us all to pray for the ministries of the church, for each other, for those in need, and for ourselves. So that's got to be part of equipping the church, just like it was for Barnabas and Saul. And then a couple of new teams, communication. There's one that's changed dramatically, even in the time that I've been in ministry. I mean, look back when I started ministry, there were three basic ways you communicated with the church. A weekly bulletin, a newsletter that you mailed to everyone's house, and the announcements. Okay, that was it. That was how you let everybody know what was going on. Nowadays, nobody listens to announcements. I mean, everybody listens to announcements, right? You hang on every word if you're here. Okay already. Okay, second, bulletin. Some people read the bulletin cover to cover, every word, and some people put it in their Bible and don't think about it till next Sunday. Some people don't read much of anything that comes in the mail. And then you add to that email, right, which is the best way to communicate with some, and some people never check their email. Facebook, for lots of people, that's a great way to communicate, a great way to connect. Other people don't, even, don't have it or don't check it. And for some people, the only way to get a response is to text them. For others, they don't text at all. And then there's our website, and there's, there's all different ways. And each of those is important for communicating to different people in our church. So we need a team, and again, this is a new team, to help us coordinate and develop a strategy for communicating with people in our church, but also in our community as well. And then finally, intentional design. That's a team that would help us give our building a uniform kind of look. So all the rooms look similar. And this could be something like things that are there for a long time, paint and carpet, or things that change frequently, whether it's flowers or things hanging on the wall, Christmas decorations, lots of those things. Again, a new team. Now, the thing is, this is the first week. We've got three more weeks, and you're going to see a little piece of paper like this appear every week. There's a lot going on, okay? And my question's going to be the same every Sunday. How do you fit into this? I mean, this may be the stuff that you get excited about. You're in the technology. You love keeping up with what's the latest thing. You like working with computers. We'd love to have you on that technology team, okay? There are people in the room like when I meet with the finance team, I mean, they get excited about spreadsheets. Sorry, Steve, okay? I don't understand that, okay? But I'm really glad they do because I would be lost without all the work that they do that keeps everything in its proper place. That's hugely important. 
Okay? So different people in the room will say, yeah, I want to be involved in one of these equipping ministries because that's who I am. That's awesome. We need everybody. And there'll be lots of other ways for people to get involved. But remember, May 31st is the day that we're going to sort of put this out for people to get involved. As I said before, come early, 920, and then stay for our worship service. Plan to do that that day and think between now and then about how you can get involved. But, but don't just think about it. What did the early church do? They prayed about it. Pray that God will show you where you can make a difference, where he needs you to be in the life of Taylorville Christian Church. Let's pray together. God, you've called us all to do something, and you use us in spite of our imperfection, in spite of the fact that we're sinners. We know that um, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And that's what allows you to use us in your service. And we're thankful for that, thankful that we matter that much to you. And we pray for our church, that you help us to know exactly what we're called to do. Pray for each one of us that we'll be able to jump in where you need us. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus has made that offer to each one of us to forgive our sins, that while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. And maybe today is the day you need to respond to that, to be baptized into Christ. Or maybe you're already a Christian and you want to be a member of our church. If you've made either one of those decisions, let us know. Come forward as we sing our invitation. Let's stand together.